All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Thought in Action, Market Musings with myself and Scott Poor, Chief Investment Officer for the Eudaimonia Group. And uh, we, we did one last week. And in we, only one week, there's a, there's a ton to talk about. So we're going to dive in, um, start with that three-legged stool, and then we'll, we'll get off to the races. So Scott, give us the, that three-legged stool update. Yeah, let, let, let's hope we get through this call. You and I both have had technology issues this morning, so this will be interesting to see if we can get through it. So we have had a lot going on. Um, obviously, we had um, late Friday night, we had the infrastructure bill uh, passed. So if you look at that leg of the stool, which is fiscal spending, you're looking at, call it $1.2 trillion in spending. Uh, the good news of that is that about $550 billion of it will go to things that we've needed to fix for a long time, roads, bridges, um, railways, uh, electric grid, all those things that have, have sorely needed to be fixed are in the bill. Unfortunately, what's typical with Washington is we get all the other stuff piled into it, uh, which is probably why it was passed in the middle of the night, because there's so much stuff they didn't have time to read, which is the other $650 billion of it that is pork, pet projects, you know, promises made to, to constituents. So that's the unfortunate side of it. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. The, the, the bad part about it is I think it, I think we could have done it in a way where we address those issues without pouring too much gasoline on the fire that is inflation. So now we've got all this other stuff and you got to think about this from the, from the bottom up. Now this is more money going in consumers' pockets, which means they're going to be spending more money, which means demand is still going to be high at the same time that we've got the shipping crisis going on. So as that's going on, you know we're we're going to see more inflation, and we'll talk about that in a minute. When you look at the other leg of the stool, which is the Fed, um, now we've got some interesting things going on there. They did announce tapering last week, which we expected, um, and and the market has kind of absorbed that fairly well, uh, probably because a lot of it was already priced in. And But on top of that, now we're getting some rumblings that uh, Fed Chairman Powell may not get renominated by the Biden administration. Typically, when a Fed uh, chairman has done well or done, you know, uh, agreed a lot with an administration, you'll see uh, a renomination process with the same administration. This That doesn't appear to be the case this time. Um, when asked over at the uh, the uh, Climate summit in Scotland, whether or not uh, President Biden was going to renominate, he kind of avoided the question. Two days later, he flies back, and all of a sudden, he's meeting with both Powell and um, another governor so that uh, of the Fed. So that makes it look like perhaps this thing may may uh, may change. Um, so we'll we'll have to study that and see more about it, um, and that could change the dynamics if that governor is more hawkish then we could see rates rise faster. If that governor is more dovish, then all of a sudden that could lead to more inflationary pressures as we go. And then the last leg of the stool is earnings. Earnings have come back very strong, except for a couple of surprises. It's been been pretty strong all around the board. So no real change with that leg of the stool. Can we, can we dial in? I know inflation is kind of topic on the table, especially this morning with the numbers coming out and kind of parse out. Let's start with Let's just start with you know the, the the potential nomination, and and I think we could really spread out from there pretty easily. You have one that's you know more hawkish. Let's raise rates. You have another one that's more dovish. Let's let's keep things kind of the way they are. Maybe not raise them as quickly. Maybe not raise them or make them make them go down. What does that do to inflation? And by by way of that, what does that do to the market? 
Yes. Yeah, so uh, what, uh, some of the talk is about uh, one of the uh, the Fed members, which is uh, Brainerd. Brainerd has typically been more dovish in her comments, uh, in her in her voting patterns. And if she is, in fact, the one that's nominated and the fact that both she and Powell were at the White House meeting together with the president is a pretty strong indication that she could be his replacement um, as he is not renominated. Um, so let's suppose that she's now uh, the Fed chairman and she's kind of driving the ship. She could influence certain governors who are on the voting committee um, to possibly vote to extend uh rates to not to not uh, hike rates anytime soon that would again keep the money flowing which again would add to inflation inflation is the speed of money so if the fed is not dialing things down or putting the brakes on lightly then that just means consumers are going to keep spending money and that that tends to make things overheat both from an economic standpoint and from a market standpoint so then you have so you have that kind of going on and then you have yellen who's you know former fed coming in and saying as the secretary of treasury, she sees no issues. And I don't know if this is just kind of, you know, telegraphing or whatever the word is to, to kind of just say what needs to be said. Um, how much, how much influence does that have? Cause I know people will read that and they'll wonder, well, how much influence does she really have to influence the fed or does she have some tools in her bag that might be able to help if inflation gets out of control? Um, because that's a, you know, based on our previous conversations, that is kind of the main concern going into next year as a threat to the market. Well, and and that could be what that meeting was all about. For all we know, Janet Yellen was sitting in the same room with both Brainerd and Powell and the president. And maybe that was the discussion. Hey, Mr. Powell, if you don't, you know, do what we want you to do, we're just going to renominate somebody else. Um, so who knows? Who knows what that discussion is? But, but clearly, you know, this talk about transitory at this point is extremely laughable. Um, even Chairman Powell has said they expect inflation to continue into the first half of next year. Well, if that's the case, we'll have had two years worth of rising inflation. So to put that in some perspective, if I lose my job today and I don't get another job for two years, that doesn't feel very transitory. If I have to go in the hospital because I, I go into a coma and I'm in a coma for two years, that's not very transitory. So, you know, those things really need to be put in perspective when we hear them say these words uh, you can try to switch the the definitions around, but you know the data is what the data is, and you know that's the chart that I've got up right now, and that is uh, PPI, which is producer price index, versus CPI, consumer price index. Now to break that down, you have cons uh, pr producers that create the goods and services that we enjoy, that we purchase. They have certain costs built in. Their costs have risen dramatically. Typically, they pass those costs onto the consumer. Uh, the consumer price index is what we end up paying when we go to the grocery store or the gas station. That index has really been a little bit flat the last few months while the PPI has been going higher. What that tells us is producers coming out of the pandemic are willing to eat some of those higher costs because they want to keep consumers purchasing their goods and services. Now, all of a sudden, we see that, that blue line, the, the PPI, flattening out a little bit. While the CPI is rising, what that's telling us is now some of those uh, prices are being passed on to the consumer. And we even heard from some of the CEOs in some of the recent third quarter earnings calls. Typically, after they announce earnings, they have calls and discuss the earnings. 
And in the vast majority of those calls, they're saying that they're going to have to pass those costs on to consumers. And that's what we're going to start to feel. So, you know, what does that mean to you as a consumer? So, for example, every day at lunch or typically I'll order from a sandwich place. They'll bring my sandwich, my my chips and my drink. And a year ago, I paid about $14 for that combo, call it. Today, I had to pay $21. That's a 50% increase. So that's a big jump in one year. Also, you look at the, the pump. When you go to the gas pump, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot higher. When we look at gas now, and I've got a chart pulled up on that, the national average is $3.45. The national average is $3.45. I mean, that's a big jump from $2.10 a year ago. So here at the pump this morning, I had to go fill up my gas tank. It was a 51% increase from just a year ago. So when you're thinking about that as a consumer and you're hearing this word transitory and you're seeing how much more you're paying when you uh, purchase goods and services, that just really doesn't compute. And I know there's this there's this huge push towards green. You know, a lot of times I, I think gas is the thing that everybody feels. And there's a huge push towards green that's in the infrastructure bill. Can you give us a little bit of context in terms of what we can really expect with kind of that green push versus, you know, I think Biden was talking about potentially shutting down another oil pipeline and that's potential impact on the, the, the price of oil and then obviously gas at the pump? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. And so I, I kind of want to lead with someone was questioning um, Secretary Granholm, who's the Secretary of Energy, um, about that shutting that pipeline down and about what the administration is doing to increase oil production. You know, this is basic economics. When, when demand is high and supply is low or decreasing, prices rise because you've got all this consumer demand chasing the same good and less of that good to offer, which means the prices go up. So one of the clear solutions is to increase oil production. Now, what the administration has been doing has been going to OPEC and begging them, literally begging them to increase production. Well, if you think about the OPEC members, they've suffered the last several years with record low oil. In 2020, when the pandemic hit and everybody shut down, oil plummeted. It almost went to negative territory. And so the, the OPEC members, they they function just like any other you know capitalistic society. They want to make money on oil because that's one of their major resources, which means that's more revenue coming into their countries. So they really don't have much incentive at this point to increase production because they're seeing massive profits from rising oil prices. What ought to happen is um, the, the previous pipeline that they shut down and not shut down the current one that they're studying, that makes more sense to increase production to lower the prices of gas. And so you had this question come up to Secretary Granholm, and she laughs. And so, again, let's put that in perspective. You go to the gas station, and you just paid 51% more for gas than you did a year ago, and the Secretary of Energy is laughing. I mean, th those two things just don't look very good. So we need to figure out a way for, for uh, us to, to get the price of gasoline fixed. But then you've got the other side, like you said in the bill, there's a lot of, of incentives and some disincentives 
uh, incentives for going electric and disincentives for continuing to buy gas uh, in the bill. And so what they're trying to do is nudge behavior. They're trying to nudge people into buying more electric. And people will naturally do that, but but the costs are too high. To, to buy a Tesla today is extremely expensive compared to other vehicles. So that's going to take some time to work itself out. As the technology gets better, as the battery storage gets better, that will solve itself. But for most people, especially if you're middle class or lower middle class, the best thing you can afford is a car that takes gasoline. It's a, it's just, it's a very, um, you have all these cool charts and, uh, and I know what people are listening, they can, they can, we have a little YouTube station that can kind of take you through some of these charts. Do you have any more cool charts to show us? Cause I know that the, the PPI and CPI seeing them kind of side by side was really helpful to see how, you know, for a while the producers were eating that cost and then they've they've since started to pass it on to the consumer um let's go through one or two more before we wrap it up this one's this is pretty cool this one really paints a very strong picture now again we were talking about what's the gap between the producer price index and the consumer price index and so in may of 20 the cpi began to rise but in april of 2020 the ppi began to rise so you can see that it started rising first so again Producers were eating some of those costs. This this gap between these two bars on this chart was much bigger. And now all of a sudden, it's it doesn't look like it here, but it's starting to close. And I think we'll begin to see that gap close as producers, because you know producers still want to make money. They still have to earn a profit. That's how their stock price goes higher. So if they see that they're at a, a breaking point and their margins are slipping. They're going to start passing those costs along, which means that that orange bar, the, the CPI, the consumer price, is going to start rising and closing that gap. How much of that PPI price hike is due to this shipping? I don't know if you know the answer. Is due to the shipping shortage or, or issues that we have going on right now? So actually, it's related to several different things. So shipping is one element of it. Um, now, the good news is uh, the global um, Baltic uh, dry index, that's the index that measures shipping rates across the, on, the, on, the, on the ocean, that has dropped considerably. So that's good. But I think that has more to do with some cancellations than it does you know, shipping not, not occurring. Really what it is is you got all these ships backlogged at the, at the port, especially in Long Beach and, and L.A., and so those shippers that would normally be sending boats in have just canceled their their shipping routes to some degree. Um, so that's one element of what these producers are facing. The other element is the labor shortage. They've had to go out and hire new people, as many as they can, and also increase the benefits for their existing employees because they can't afford to lose those existing employees. So their costs have gone up. We saw that last week. We didn't really get a chance to talk about it in our last call, but when you look at the employment cost index quarter over quarter, it rose substantially, which means producers are having to pay more for good labor. Uh, we'll get the, the JOLTS announcement, which is the, the job openings uh, later on this week, so we'll see if that number's gone down a little bit. We hope that it has. Um, when we saw the initial jobless claims and the continuing claims today, they did rise a little bit, but they've been going down for six to seven weeks straight. So not surprising that we get a little bit of a bump higher, but the trend is still very good. So you've got shipping costs, you've got labor costs, and then you've got the cost of just the goods themselves. If you look at commodity, commodity prices have exploded through the roof. Matter of fact, there's even talk now of this being a commodity super cycle where commodities are headed higher for, for some time. So those three things have really are really baked into the producer prices. No, that's all that's all super helpful to kind of get in like a, to paint that picture of kind of where we're at right now and where we're going. So you take all this information, you digest it, 
where do you see, if anywhere, opportunities? Um, you know, there's a lot kind of going on. So I think sometimes we get to this point and you're thinking, all right, so what do I do? Do I, do I shift? You know, I, I think if you think that, you know, rates are going up and inflation is going higher, you may want to shift out of growth. We've talked a little bit about that, but like right now, given where we're at, do you see things that we should do or just keep an eye on um, to potentially shift or, or is there an opportunity that's sitting and staring us right in the face? Yeah, you know, one of the opportunities is going to be in the uh, fixed income world. You know, fixed income is is negative for the year. When you adjust it for, for inflation, it's basically down 5 to 6%, uh, depending on what index you're looking at. So an opportunity there is is TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. Now, everybody has basically poo-pooed TIPS for years because you never really made money in it. Well, that's because inflation has been benign, really, for the last 20 years. This is the time that it's probably going to make money. So if the Fed Chairman Powell is correct and inflation continues on through the first half of next year, TIPS is probably going to make you money. So how TIPS work is that instead of getting a yield on your bonds, the bonds actually appreciate in value with the consumer price index. So as a consumer price index heads higher, the actual total return, the capital appreciation on your bonds is greater. So they'll they'll probably end up in positive territory where typical you know fixed income is going to be negative. So that's one opportunity to think about. Um, another opportunity is going to be in the basic materials. If commodity prices are indeed in this super cycle, basic materials, industrials will probably do pretty well. As prices rise, they will make more money. Um, they'll pass that that money on to the consumer. And at least here in the short term, consumers are going to be willing to pay it. Uh, the, the, price, the problem that we're going to have is, is when the consumer says, hey, look, I need gas and food a whole lot more than I need you know, a brand new stove or a, a brand new dishwasher. All of a sudden, now you're getting into a different territory where some of those items get passed along and just and just postpone because gas and food is more important. All right, let's wrap this up with your wealth protection signal. Um, take us through how it looks and if there's anything on the horizon, uh, dark clouds. Yeah, so uh, I don't have my chart up uh, updated as of this morning, but basically it's it's around 13 to 14 on the on the uh, wealth protection signal, which is still extremely low. It would have to more than increase 200 percent uh, to get to the first trigger. Um, it has inched up a little bit. That's because we're seeing some volatility. Because inflation is rising, we're starting to get some some doubts about future growth. Um, I think the first half of next year we're probably okay, but it's the second half of next year that everybody's kind of worried about. At least from some of the commentary I'm reading right now. So uh, we're seeing bond prices kind of fluctuate a little bit. Uh, part of that is due to tapering. Part of it is due to uh, th- this this concern about future growth and inflation. So I, I think that um, right now people should stay invested. We talked about this last week. Equities is really one of the better gains in town uh, in the markets because you know the markets up uh, S and P is up 26 percent for the year. So even at six percent inflation, if, if you look at CPI, you know you still made 15 percent return on your equities. So I think that investors will probably flow through there versus bonds because, again, inflation adjusted, your bonds are negative. That's a super helpful overview. Um, I think we covered a lot of territory. I really like the just the talk through tips. Um, I, you know, it, I think a lot of times you digest all this information. You're like, what do I do? Especially if you do, you know, require some type of fixed income like most people do in your portfolio, and you're like, it's just negative. It's just, where do I make money? I think it's a really good shift that people, if they're looking at their bond portfolios, can take. Um, and hopefully make some money here. So thank you, Scott, for the time. Definitely appreciate it. Thank you for the overview. Thank you for those cool charts. I like those charts. 
<laughs> I look forward to talking to you soon.